You are now entering a world. A world beyond the reach of the average eye. A world filled with wondrous imagination. Where good and evil are an epic struggle. An everlasting fight. Where courage and bravery lurk around every corner. And the magic of the mind is unleashed. Welcome to Avery World. Previously on Avery World Stories. Jane Danger pays a visit to Trustin in his clinic for the mentally insane. Where she finds out that Brother Charles didn't check himself in. In fact, Father Morris and his sister Joan paid frequent visits spreading religious poison to him and all the inmates. For this visit, Jane was arrested. Served three days in jail only to be rescued by police chief Roberts, who invites her to join the police force on a commission basis to investigate Father Morris. She's able to find incriminating documents, but Agent Sparks doesn't think she'll make anything stick. But Roberts and Jane convince Sparks to let them talk to Judge Sinek about a warrant. As I waited for the warrant to be signed, I took a visit back to my mother's apartment. I hadn't been in it since moving out a few weeks ago, but it felt like years. The place hadn't changed much, but the way I felt when I stood in the living room that used to be my bedroom and looked down at the couch that used to double as my bed brought back feelings of regret that made me uncomfortable. And I spent my days staring death in the face. My mother was just stepping out of the shower when she heard me in the living room. She came out, pistol in one hand, holding her towel over her naked and wet body in the other. Jesus, Jane, what are you doing here? I technically still pay rent. Well, I'm glad you decided to come home. I know living with me can be unbearable. It's not living with you that's unbearable, I told her, unable to tell her that the real reason I couldn't stand to be in this place was it reminded me of the person I no longer wanted to be, and was fighting every day to escape. A part of me thinks she knew, but wanted me to say it. I hoped once we moved out of this place she'll come to a realization of the person she was while we were living here together. Makes me a little happy to hear that, she said, as she closed her bedroom door and got dressed. You hungry? She said through the door. There's leftovers. What is it? I asked, opening the fridge to see for myself anyway. Chicken stew! I always told you, you don't eat stew in Nevada in the summer. I warned. My mother opened the door, fully dressed. And I always told you, you eat what you can afford. She said as she walked over to the fridge, basically bumping me out of the way and pulled out the leftover stew. She pulled out a pot and dumped the stew in it. If you need money, Mom, just ask. Oh, yes. Let me ask my daughter for money. That's what a good mother should do. Get a handout. She said as she cut the heat on the stove on under the pot, heating up her leftover. It's not a handout. It's what you deserve. Why won't you let me give you what you deserve? 
I deserve the money that was given to you as a gift for allowing a man to be shot to death. It's more than that and you know it. And who cares how I got it? I have it. And you're using it to build us a house. Isn't that enough? A house that I have to basically force you to live in. I don't understand why you're fighting me so much on this. You think Frank Sinatra's mother fought him when he offered to give her money? Are you comparing yourself to Frank Sinatra? No, I think I'm better than Frank. I'm trying to stop the mob. Not use them as my personal valet. You are so confident, aren't you? My mother asked as she stepped to me. Face to face we stood in the kitchen. The tension palpable. You think the world owes you something. That you get what you deserve. That's not how life works. No. That's not how your life has worked. But we can change it. If we want to. I said. And just then the stew on the stove boiled. I am changing. She said as she cut the heat off and grabbed a bowl ready to eat. I'm going to church more. I pray for you, for your soul. That you're safe every night you sleep in that office. I pray someone doesn't bust in there and blow your head off. No one's going to blow my head off. All these enemies you're making, it's only a matter of time. Before I open that newspaper, and you're not just in the headlines because you solved the case. Is that what you're so afraid of? Me dying? I asked. She pulled another bowl out of the cabinet and placed it down next to hers. Come eat. You're withering away. She said as she took her bowl to the couch and sat down. I wasn't hungry, but I figured that it was probably better not to upset her even more over something so menial. So I gave myself a bowl and sat down next to her on the couch. Thank the Lord for your food, she said as I stopped, put down my spoon, and bowed my head. I shut my eyes and usually I'd only keep my head in this position for ten seconds or so and not say a thing. But on this occasion, I found it appropriate to pray and thank the Lord for this meal, and more importantly my mother. I don't know what came over me. I've never prayed before, but this time I couldn't stop praying. I could feel her looking at me in her judgmental ways, not sure if it was the looming threat of death in just 48 hours, or the fact that I was beginning to appreciate the life I had for the first time. Maybe a bit of both. But the real surprise came when I opened my eyes and saw my mother with her head bowed, eyes closed, praying with me, her hands extended out, palms up. I placed my hand in hers and we ended the prayer together with an amen. This was the first time in years I remember holding my mother's hand. Her skin wasn't as hard and cold as she made it seem by her personality. I believe we were both learning to find things to be thankful for in this life. Or maybe it was the stew that made our hands so warm. Hard to tell. As we ate, we sat in silence. Then, I thought it necessary to tell her the news about Father Morrison. We're getting a search warrant for Father Morrison's church. She damn near dropped her bowl. What? I think he has something to do with the murders. I have to be sure. Why would you tell me this? Because you go to his church. I just didn't want you to be surprised when church is canceled. You are going after a man of the Lord? Do you have no shame? He's killing people, Mom. I have to stop him. I'm working with the police on this. On payroll and everything. I said proudly. She did an unusual thing at that moment. She put her hand on my lap. She gripped it tight. She looked deep in my eyes. Be careful, Jane. Men of God are often close to the devil. It'll do you best to steer clear of them. You cross the church. Your soul is bound for hell. What if the church is filled with men who are going there anyway? And to this she said nothing. 
I finished my stove and headed for the door. When I opened it, she spoke. Then you cleanse the house of the Lord and let the wrath of God fuel the fires of judgment. And on her blessing, I gave her a nod and left. I drove around the city before returning to my office. I wanted to ponder the first real moment of connection I had with my mother in years. I wondered what drove her to break down her walls. Maybe it was her age. She's nearing 50 after all. Or maybe it was Father Morrison's sermons. Lord knows what he has told her about forgiveness and loving thy daughter. For her to side with me over him seems too good to be true. I wish Happy could describe what I felt, but it was more than that. Stronger. When I did get back to my office, the phone rang almost immediately. I answered it, and on the other line was a pretty angry Chief Roberts. Where the hell have you been? I was visiting my mother. What do you want? I said, putting him right back in his place. We got the warrant. We're mobilizing. It is at the church. I'll be there. But of course, he hung up in the middle of me speaking, putting me back in mine. By the time I got to the church, the raid had already begun. My one regret was that I didn't get to see the look on Father Morrison's face when we entered the church. His face as they carried him out in handcuffs, though, was priceless nonetheless. When he saw me, his eyes lit up. I didn't get close enough to say anything before they shoved him in the back of the cop car. I went into the church to find Agent Sparks and Chief Robin standing in the main room amongst the pews. Sorry, I missed it. Well, there she is, Robert said sarcastically. You being late was probably the reason no one got shot. All right, no reason to be a jackass. It was my persuasion that got us the damn warrant. Cussing in God's house, Mr. Sparks said mockingly. That's a one-way ticket to hell. He said as he walked away. I'll see you there. I said as I turned back to the altar, standing shoulder to shoulder with Roberts. He must really like you, he said to me. What makes you say that? He held you accountable, that's a good sign. If that's his good side, I said as we both chuckled. He stopped before I did. You could sense something was troubling, Roberts. What's wrong? I don't like this, not one bit. Afraid of churches? Just the people who run them. When you feel you have the power of God on your side, you have justification to do some pretty nasty things. And we just put ourselves right in the line of fire. You're here. I'm here. To solve a case and stop those nuns from getting murdered. No, you're here to be bait. And I'm here to catch a killer. You ever deal with the mob, Miss Danger? He said, as we sat down in the pew. Well, if you call a rich businessman a mob boss, then yes. I think that classifies. He said with a bit of a chuckle. When you're dealing with the mafia, you know going in, you can get the lower level guys, but the top guys, the boss, 9 out of 10, you ain't getting him. That's a losing attitude. You want to win, go play basketball. This job isn't about winning, it's about surviving. Charles is an easy get. He was supposed to get caught. You were supposed to get caught. You're a distraction. Father Morrison, on the other hand, he won't see prison time, but we'll get his picture in the paper, stain his legacy. But that's... When the fire starts. Why are you telling me this? I says I found myself asking this question a lot. You can't get everybody, Miss Danger. Remember that. He said as we both turned our eyes to the statue of Jesus. I never believed in any of this. You believe that? Born in 1912, never cared much for religion. Neither did I. Did? 
I'm starting to come around. And yet you're going after the church. Just the people who run it? I told him. He smiled. I knew I liked you. He said as he stood from the pew. Well, let's head back to the station and get this shit so over with. We exited the church. The police station was alive with more buzz than usual. I hadn't felt this much excitement in my four years of working there. Maybe I mistook it for dread. But still, there was a buzz in the air that you couldn't help but catch. It was contagious. I headed straight for the interrogation rooms in the back, hoping to get some one-on-one time with the father before the police got his statement. When I arrived, Roberts was already looking through the window to the room with Detective Sparks next to him. I was too late again. Has he said anything? I asked as I stood on the other side of Chief Roberts. Nothing you can know, Sparks said. Play nice, Roberts instructed him. It all happened too fast for me to respond with a quip of my own. By the demeanor of Roberts, it was best for me to let it go for now. Has he said anything? I said, not even acknowledging Sparks' comment. He attests to his innocence. Chief Roberts said, We have the papers. We have them dead to rights. And he knows that. Which is why I'm sure we won't get enough to make it stick. Why not? Because he's already made his phone call. Bishop Plank is on his way. He'll be out in the morning. He said as he walked away. I hurried after him, ignoring the smirk Sparks gave me, obviously feeling that I dropped the ball somehow. Sir, I said as I caught up to Roberts on the way to his office. We can't just let him get away with it. Those papers are enough to charge both him and Plank, I'm sure of it. I told you, Jane. They're enough to arrest them, sure, but to make it stick in court, you had to pull some bullshit about Hoover just to get a damn search warrant. You think Shillick wants to hear this case? You know who has the full support of the church? The Mafia. Those gangsters go to church every Sunday, and they'll be damned if they see their pastors dragged to jail in handcuffs, and we're just talking about Nevada. Now open this up to national news, the scrutiny. We're not going to let speculation about the Mafia make us yellow, are we? I pushed, but he wasn't having any of it. No, I'm not going to turn this town into a freak sideshow. It's because you want to bang your chest. He paused with a deep breath. We'll never get enough to make any charges against Father Morrison or Bishop Plank stick. But the papers were enough to get Charles. On this, I perked up. What do you mean? He was mentioned in the papers. We're going after him now. He'll be here before the hour is up. What about Joan? Nothing on Joan. I saw the letter, and I believe you. But we found nothing on Joan. Why destroy Joan's evidence but not Charles's? Let me interrogate him. I basically begged him. I could tell he wanted to refute, but he knew I wasn't going to back down on this. Fine. When he gets here, gets processed, you'll have five minutes with him. Now, if you don't mind, I have to explain to a governor why his favorite priest is in handcuffs. He said, defeated as he entered his office. It wasn't as if Roberts didn't want to pursue. He couldn't. I knew he wasn't afraid of the mafia shooting up his house, but the governor and the bishop, that was a very different situation. I couldn't get into the room with Father Morrison. If I did, I probably wouldn't get a confession out of him. He's much too smart. We weren't going to charge Bishop Plank with conspiracy, so getting him to slip up was out of the question. The letter from Joan was hidden or burned. It's clear they're trying to pin this on Charles. And if Joan is on the take, then talking to her won't do any good. But Charles, a mad killer, five minutes with him would be all I would have. I needed to make the most of it, because... If I can get anything from him that points to Father Morrison or Bishop Plank or Sister Joan, I may be able to convince Roberts to go through with this case. 
I had one shot, and I needed to take it. They brought Charles in about a half hour later. He was dirty and a bit unkempt, but man was he a sight. In my head, I pictured him as this behemoth of a man straight from a comic book, but I was wrong. He was only a little taller than me, I'd say 5'9 on a good day. Lanky, slender, there was nothing intimidating about him. His hair covered his eyes from a distance. It wasn't hippie long, but it was close. You could tell he hadn't had a haircut in a while. A good one, anyway. After they booked him, Roberts granted me five minutes before Agent Sparks had his way with him. And because I wasn't officially on the roster, I was just a consultant. Legally, I wasn't supposed to be interrogating him. So I had to do my work in his cell, alone with him. Which, honestly, when he told me, gave me an unsettling feeling. I had to make sure his cuffs stayed on. The cell was small and cold, very little light sunk through the barred door from the hallway. Charles sat there on his bunk head down, muttering to himself. When the door closed shut behind me, I knew then I was at the mercy of this unsettled man. My firearm had been handed over upon entrance of the station, so I was really at his mercy. Charles? I said in a calm tone, being careful not to alarm the man. It was as if he didn't hear me. He just kept muttering to himself. I couldn't make out what he was saying. It was quick and low. I cleared my throat and ready for another pass. Charles, I said with a little more authority. This time he looked up at me, and I saw it. A look in his eyes. I've never seen anything like this up until that point. He looked right at me, the blue mixed with the green in his pupils. His eyelids fully flexed. I doubt he blinked the entire time I was in the cell. He didn't speak to me. Just kept muttering. What are you saying, Charles? I took a step closer to him and crouched down to get eye level. That's when I can make out just a bit of what he was saying. It sounds to me like a prayer. I wasn't an expert on the subject matter, but I recognized Holy Father and Mother Mercy give us strength. Is that a prayer? I waited for a response foolishly. Can I pray with you? To this he looked at me again. He nodded quickly, stopped speaking, waited for me. I could tell he was jittery, so I placed my hands on top of his and did my best I could to force a prayer out of my lips. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you to pray for Charles and his eternal soul. I pray that you watch over it and forgive him for anything that he's done. Guide him. Let him make the right choices to put to bed the demons in his head. I pray, amen. As I opened my eyes, I was surprised to see him looking right at me. A softer look in his eyes. Amen, he said. You're no car. No, Charles. I'm a consultant. My name's Jane. Jane, he said softly, repeating it as if to remember it. That's right, Jane. And I'm concerned about you, Charles. I think someone's making a fool of you, making you do some bad things. Have you done bad things? Bad things? Everything I've done is in the name of the Lord. And who speaks for the Lord? Who told you to do these things? The angels. They come down blaring the trumpet. Gabriel himself played a beautiful tune. It filled me with joy. Did Gabriel tell you to kill nine people? I said, wanting to be more subtle but having no time to. He just shot me a look. 
and now I saw a man seeping through his pupils, a sad one at that. What the Lord asks of us is a heavy burden to bear, but it's none heavier than him carrying the cross, isn't it? Oh, he asks a lot of his children. It seems like more than we can bear, but it ain't. He knows it. He's seen all. He'll see me through. Through to what? To kill Father Connolly, Father Johnson, their followers? On their names, he stood up with fury. That sad man, gone, and the demon in him returned. Charlatans! All of them! Traitors to the church! He screamed, backing me up to the door. I will have the justice of the church. The purity will be restored, and on their blood, I will be welcomed into heaven. A glorious martyr in the unforgiving war between hell and heaven. Angels and demons. And what about Mother Margaret? And on this he stopped. As if he had no clue what I was talking about. Mother Margaret is no charlatan. She's a leader of women. Father Morrison didn't tell you to kill Mother Margaret. Who did he tell you to kill? On that he slammed his cuffs fist up against the steel bars right next to my head. He leaned in close, his mouth right next to my ear. I could hear every slow breath feel the warmth on the side of my face. You think me wicked, he whispered. But Father Morrison has assured us a place in heaven as long as his deed be done. I looked up at him, right into his eyes. I thought he realized that he just made a mistake and has finally blown this case wide open. Just then, an officer came to the door. He stuck his keys in, unlocking it. I thought he was coming for me until I saw him unlock the handcuffs to Charles' wrist. You're free to go, the officer said. On whose authority? The bishop's. He spoke, and with those two powerful words, I felt even more useless and debased as Charles exited the cell. I stayed for a moment looking around the drab gray walls and in the cell. I found solace. It was so concrete, so finite. It gave me comfort. I was reminded of George Meade's letter I read back in the Roosevelt on Los Angeles. As he described his prison, those gray imaginary walls stretching from the floor to the ceiling and beyond, and how he would cut his fingers on it and let the blood run. Honestly, I thought it was an analogy for suicide, but now that I'm thinking about it, Looking around at these gray walls and the wall of bars, I can tell. It was 100% about suicide. Who could possibly live inside gray walls? Trapped and closed. The sun gone, the warmth gone, the breeze, the smell of fresh air, the feeling of freedom all gone. Then I remember how he said it would often rain washing his blood off the walls. I never understood that part of the analogy. Maybe he was talking about failed suicide attempts washing away the blood, bandaging his cut up, and being able to go on. There was a powerful image as well, for one trapped inside grey walls often feels depressed and defeated. But there's always hope, one can escape, and for me, there was nothing keeping me in this cell but me. These walls follow me, that's for sure. They are the system created to keep me in a place. But I have hope that I will rise out and above my place in this world to show them I'm more. For if they think that I would get in this cell without a wire on me, these men are batshit crazy. I got him, I said as I slammed the tape down on Chief Robert's desk. Unauthorized, he said. I don't care, I got him, I said strongly. All he did was look out at me, as he grabbed the case and slid it off the top of his desk and into his jacket pocket. Hello, Father Morrison, he said, slowly moving his eyes from me to the door. 
Robert? Jane? I turned to see Father Morrison standing in the doorway. He was dressed like an everyday person, no priest garb, and a cold, calculated look on his face. I said nothing as he stepped toward me, eyeing me up and down like a piece of raw steak, and he was a mighty lion ready to pounce. You caused a lot of trouble getting in the way of the Lord. If the cause of the Lord is killing people, I'll get in his way every time. He responded to this with a chuckle, glancing over at Robert, who now stood looking down at both of us. No one kills in the name of the Lord, I assure you. Well, then what do you call it, then? I asked sternly. Tragedy. It comes to the wicked. And with that, I was ready to slap him, but I held back. I will catch you, I told him. I have no idea what you're talking about. Enough, the both of you, Robert said, melting our childishness. Miss Danger, I just came to tell you that your sources may have been wrong. While you were focused on Charles and Sister Joan, there were reports of another man snooping about a convent just a few miles away. Home of another nine nuns. It seems someone has played you all. Another nine nuns? Yes, led by Mother Harriet. Another radical preacher. The police and federal agents are headed there now to evacuate them. I couldn't believe it. I had been played. The whole thing set up. I didn't know if the letters I found were real or not. Which is a clever ruse to keep me away from the real intended victims. Now I would like Charles released. This gave both me and Robert's paws. Either this was another misdirection, or someone was playing Morrison for a fool. We released him into your custody 45 minutes ago. Robert told him. I don't have him. Then who? Robert asked out loud. Neither of them knew the answer, but then it hit me. Who would the police release Brother Charles to? The same person Dr. Trustin did. Sister Joan, I said, and it clicked for everyone in that moment. We let a murderer slip out of the station into the very hands of the person directly in control of pointing out his next victim, the woman he loved. And now Mother Margaret is completely exposed. Let's go, Robert said to me as we headed for the door. You're gonna need someone that he'll listen to, Father Morrison yelled. Fine, Robert said, but only if Jane says it's okay. Wouldn't want you getting in the way of God's work, he said as he looked at me. Okay, he can come, but he stays cuffed, I said as we left the station. Next time, on the final episode of Jane Danger, Two Weeks to Kill, Jane, Chief Roberts, and Father Morrison rush to the nun's commissary. But will they be too late to stop Sister Joe and Brother Charles from slaughtering all of Mother Margaret's nuns? Find out on the conclusion of Jane Danger, Two Weeks to Kill.